So, how was the break? Good. Great. Great. Did you mingle? Yes, of course. Was it fun to get to talk with others? Yeah, of course. Sweet. Yeah, I feel the energy in the room is different, guys, from when you came in. But it's a little lighter, a little more friendly. Ah, yeah. Mm, humanity. Mm. So, so for tonight's uh, reflections, I was thinking about what, uh, what would be appropriate to, to speak about, to talk with you all. And various topics came up in, in my mind, in my heart, and I have to say, I realized I couldn't talk about anything else other than that, other than what's been heavy in my heart. It's been so much happening and um, in the world, in our country. Um, and the title that I came up for the talk is, um, this is with a nod, by the way, to Gabriel Garcia Marquez. He has this beautiful book called Love in the Time of Cholera. Beautiful book. I know, isn't it a good book? Yeah. So the, the topic, the, the title I came up for this talk is Love in the Time of Fire. Fire. And fire, the fire, the, 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 the word that came up, the name that this came up, is actually from, from Buddha's fire sermon. There's uh, the fire sermon where the Buddha says, Monks, all is burning. Burning with what? Burning with the fire of greed, with the fire of hatred, with the fire of delusion. Fire. The world is on fire. All is burning. And Bhikkhu Bodhi the eminent Buddhist monk and scholar. He says that they exist not on, the, the, the fire not, exists not only as motives in di- individuals' minds, but as forces that energize colossal social systems spread out over the world, touching virtually everyone. Thus, they are now much more malignant than ever before. This fire of greed and hatred and delusion. I remember talking with Joseph Goldstein and, um, and, and he was saying that, um, also in a talk of his, he was saying multiple talks, that, that um, he's interested in... Um, uh, World War II documentaries. So he's been watching them, studying them. And one day, as he was watching a World War documentary, it hit him that this colossal, this world war, it's from greed, hatred, and delusion. That's all it is. It's, it's from single, it's in our hearts and minds. And we're not immune to it. We're all humans. We all have it. Anyone without greed and hatred and delusion, if you're liberated, let me know. I'd love to talk with you. So we're not immune. It's not like it's them. It's them. They have the greed and hatred. We all have these roots, these seeds in us. And when they go unchecked, when this fire is not healed with love, with compassion, with with understanding, with wisdom. It rages, it rages into this colossal social systems. So, as I was contemplating, as I was contemplating the way to be in the world now, There are seven things that came up for me. 
which I'll share with you. And by the way, it's you know the same way that how is it how is it how does it go? Um, you know, you if you talk to two Dharma teachers, you'll get three opinions. You know, it's just so so we, we all have different advice. So whatever I say here, the parts that are useful and helpful to you, please take him home. Whatever is not supportive for you, leave it here. Let the words just drop, okay? So the seven things that I came up with as I was sitting with my own practice, how am I sitting with this fire? One is, the first is let yourself be moved. I'll read them all and then I'll go through them. Let yourself be moved. The second one is titrate and take care of yourself. Number three, keep your heart open. Number four, don't get stuck in your views. And number five, expand your perspective. Number six, do what you do best. And number seven, enjoy. Kind of surprising, but enjoy. That's a big part of it. So... So to start with the first one, start with the first one, let yourself be moved, let yourself be moved. I think for me personally, it's been hard not to be moved. And I think regardless of who you are and your political party affiliation and beliefs, it's hard not to have been moved by the pain, by the suffering of people, of children, of young people. So letting ourselves be moved. And for me, I think it's been particularly moving because I am an immigrant. I moved to this country when I was 16 years old. I am an immigrant. I'm a refugee. And remembering those early times, those early days, weeks, months of uncertainty and difficulty and what's going to happen. And, and, and also my mom was not able to come with me for a few months, so I was separated from my mom. I was staying with my uncle. But still, that, that if I remember as a teenager, as a kid, that uncertainty and all the difficulty of moving my home behind and in this new place and just all of that. And I had it easy. I had support, but still being an immigrant, a refugee, is hard, is hard to imagine what... So, so it's been hitting me. I, I've been finding myself weeping for, for the children. I could have been that child. I could be that child. I could have been born as that child. We're not so different. So... Letting ourselves be moved, letting ourselves feel the the emotions that come up could be sadness, could be despair, could be anger, whatever it is. Um, noticing what arises when you hear the news, when you hear the radio or read. Um, emotions will come up. As a part of this practice, what we do is we hold witness, not just externally but internally external internal internal external i'll talk more about that actually i'll say something about it now so in satipatthana sutta in the four foundations of mindfulness sutta which is basically a teaching a sutta that holds the basics of mindfulness you know mindfulness all the stuff we do most of it comes from that sutta it's a really important sutta teaching by the Buddha. And in that sutta, there is a refrain that keeps repeating after every section, keeps repeating, keeps repeating. And in that, the Buddha talks about um, one contemplates internally, one one contemplates the object of contemplation internally, one contemplates externally, one contemplates internally and externally. This is a hugely important teaching. So much so that the refrain is repeated 
I forget how many times, 15 times or something after every section of, of that sutta. I think that the teaching of internal, external. Sometimes we think that in our practice, oh, it's all about going internal. Okay, internal, internal. Okay, my breath, my body, my emotions, okay. No, it's actually about being both internal and external, and internal and external. Of course, it couldn't be otherwise. It couldn't be otherwise. So the practice of of letting yourself be moved, letting letting these, b- both holding witness externally and also holding witness internally, what is coming up? Letting it move through you. Letting it move through you. And number two actually comes quite quickly. I would like to bind number two with number one, which is not only let yourself be moved, but the second is titrate. Titration and taking care of yourself in this time is just as important. Because this is not a sprint, you guys. This is a marathon. And by this, I mean being human. Being human in these times. It's not a sprint. It's not, to, it's not appropriate to wear yourself out. So titrate. Just as it's important to let yourself be moved and hold witness for what's happening, it's also important to know when you've reached your limit. Okay, I need to take some time. I feel overwhelmed. Okay, need to take some time. Need to take a little break. Need to turn off the radio now. Okay, maybe I need to go sit. Um, Because if you're completely overwhelmed and unable to take care of yourself, take care of your loved ones, take care of the world, you're not going to be doing anything good for anybody. It's not wise to be in that state of overwhelm all the time. For a little bit, touching into it, it's okay, as long as you have the wisdom to pull back and be in a place of stability and equanimity to actually take action. And also be aware of compassion fatigue. Compassion fatigue. So, what is compassion fatigue? So, I think something that can happen is when one does not titrate and when there is actual, there is a sense of um, empathic or empathetic overwhelm, where in the empathy, there's so much empathy with the suffering of others. And it's not held with loving kindness. It's not held with equanimity. One tends to completely dip into the sorrow. And in that case, we're not actually stably extending a holding hand. In that case, we're actually bobbing in the waves up and down with whoever is suffering. We're no good at that point anymore. So it's much wiser to take a step back and find our stability again. Find our stability through taking care of ourselves, through titration, through, through nature, through sitting, through whatever makes you feel resourced and available so that you can be present, so that you can do, so that you can hold witness, so that you can donate money, so that you can call, you can do whatever you do, I'll talk more about that. So, so you can be present. So titration is very important also. Taking news breaks so that you're not completely numb and overwrought. So, so far we have let yourself be moved and we have titrate and take care of yourself. And I have a poem I'd like to share with you about these two. It's called In a Dark Time by Theodore Rothke. In a dark time, the eye begins to see. I meet my shadow in the deepening shade. I hear my echo in the echoing wo- in the echoing wood a lord of nature 
weeping to a tree. I live between the heron and the wren, beasts of the hill and serpents of the den. What's madness but nobility of soul, at odds with circumstance, the days on fire? I know the purity of pure despair, my shadow pinned against a sweating wall. That place among the rocks, is it a cave or a winding path? The edge is what I have. A steady storm of correspondences, a night flowing with birds, a ragged moon, and in broad day, the midnight come again. A man goes far to find what he is, death of self in a long, tearless night. All natural shapes blazing on natural light. Dark, dark my light, and darker my desire. My soul, like some heat-maddened summer fly. I like this. I love this part. My soul, like some heat-maddened summer fly, keeps buzzing at the sill. Which I is I? A fallen man, I climb out of my fear. The mind enters itself, and God the mind. And one is one, free in the tearing wind. I love how he describes the process of this being off-center and then climbing out of fear and whatever is arising and, and the mind enters itself and God, the mind, the stability to be, the stability to be and hold space. So the third, keep your heart open. Can we keep our heart open in this time? Is it possible? Sometimes it's hard. It's kind of hard to keep your heart open, isn't it? But is it possible to keep our heart open for everyone? For everyone. It's a challenge. I know. It's hard. I see some people shaking their head like, oh, are you you kidding me? It's hard, but it's not impossible. It's... I'll share a teaching from the Buddha. It's from, it's actually a very challenging teaching. It's, I think, the most challenging teaching that I know from the Buddha. And I'm not there, just to let you know when I read it. Um, it's, the bar is high. And I still want to share around this path, right? You're meditating, you're here. On this path enough, okay. So here it goes. It's from the simile of the saw. And the Buddha says, Practitioners, even if bandits were to sever you savagely, limb by limb, with a two-handed saw, it's pretty graphic. Yeah, he's, he's making a point. Yeah, Okay. If bandits were to sever you savagely, limb by limb, with a two-handed saw, okay. He who gave rise to a mind of hate towards them would not be carrying out my teaching. Whoa. Let that land for a moment. That's pretty intense. Here in practitioners, you should train thus. Our minds will remain unaffected. And we shall utter no evil words. We shall abide compassionate for their welfare with a mind of loving kindness, without inner hate. We shall abide pervading them with a mind imbued with loving kindness. And starting with them, we shall abide pervading the all encompassing world with a mind imbued with loving kindness, abundant, exalted, immeasurable, without hostility and without ill will. This is how you should train bhikkhus. And it's not impossible. It is not impossible. 
have to say, I mean, your mileage might vary, but for me, when I hear various political figures online and I, I on, uh, in the news, and I find my heart clenching, like, ouch, lies, or oh, how could you do this? How could we do this? After letting myself be moved, like, okay, this is what's happening. For me, where the mind, my mind goes, oh, poor deluded man, poor deluded woman, poor deluded person. If you knew, if you knew the harm you're causing to yourself, if you knew the karmic consequences, if you, if you just, if you, if you were only awake your true nature, if there wasn't all of this delusion, not to say I'm free of delusion, I have plenty, but if you don't have this delusion, ouch, ouch. So it's more being pained for them, with them, and the situation, of course, being pained with the situation, but not hatred. They do not know. They don't know any better. Hurt people hurt people. Hurt people hurt people. And by hating, by hating the haters, we become what we don't want in the world, what we want to change in the world. We want to change the fire. We want to change the greed and hatred and delusion. So by, by engaging ourselves in hating, we are perpetrating. We are doing what we want to end. It's hard, it's a difficult teaching, and it's not impossible. We want to change the world, we want to do what is good, what is right, not from a place of hatred, but from a place of loving and caring so much for this world, for the people, for all the people in it. No one left out. As hard as it may be, as hard as it may be, it's difficult. And fear will come up, and sadness, and anger, and hatred will come up. It's not easy. And to know the source is delusion. There's a beautiful story of the Dalai Lama, where many years ago, there was an elderly monk who had arrived in India after fleeing from prison in Tibet. And when this elderly monk met with the Dalai Lama, he recounted all the years that he had been imprisoned, the hardship, the tortures, the beatings he had endured, the hunger, loneliness that he had lived with. And at some point, the Dalai Lama asks him, was there ever a time that you felt your life was truly in danger. And the monk answered, in truth, the only time I felt at risk was when I felt in danger of losing my compassion for my jailers. It's not impossible. It's not impossible. It's not impossible. The next one. Don't get stuck in your views. Don't get stuck in your views. We all have them. A dime a dozen. I'd like to share something from Angel Kyoto Williams, who is a priest. And she is the world's second woman Zen teacher of African descent. And she's very cool. And she's a voice for social justice and social change. Here's a passage, a couple, a few paragraphs from her, from, I think it was an interviewer talk. She says, You don't have to like anyone at all. People always tease me about this. I hardly like anyone, but I love everyone. And that is possible. In fact, it's the very thing that bridges the spiritual life and the activist life. 
When I came to Buddhist practice, I thought that when people were at the pinnacle of their practice, they would see the need to respond to the problems in the world. Isn't that what would happen once you get there, where there is? But that wasn't my experience. So I switched my focus to the activists. They were trying to change the world. And I felt that if I could support them with meditation and awareness practices, then they could do it more effectively. What I ran into, of course, was that they pretty much didn't love anyone. So love is what I focused on. Because in social justice work, the only option is loving everyone. Otherwise, there is no path to real change. Whether we're really leaning towards the spiritual community or the activist community, what we need is the combination of a mind that wants to change the world and a mind that is steady, clear-seeing, and seeks change from a place of love rather than from a place of anger. It's important not to get stuck in your own views. Even if you think yours is the right way, there is always someone else who has another way. Then you're in an irreconcilable conflict that doesn't get resolved except, I think, through love. King and Gandhi understood that everyone holds some aspect of the truth. So when you're in the pursuit of social justice, it becomes very difficult to hold on to your your own idea of the truth. You would think that the more you're in pursuit of justice, the more you know what's right, but it's actually the opposite. I love that. It's really making space for a bigger perspective, a grander truth, whatever that is. And the last part, happiness and suffering, right and wrong, like and dislike. There are the paradoxes that exist for all of us balancing the inner life and outer life. We think it's one, of, it's one or the other. Either we like and agree with people or we're against them and we have to hate them. The question is, how do we exist in this space that holds both of these, quali- both of these duality- dualities at once? I'll read the question again. The question is, and let this time, actually let this question be dropped in into your heart as a practice for a moment, actually. The question is, how do we exist in this space that holds both of these dualities at once? So, change through love. And indeed, King and Gandhi knew this. They knew this. And so appreciate the the teachings of both of them. And the teachings of Martin Luther King. It's so amazing how, how he was fearless and filled with love and preached love for everyone, no one left out. Because we are all in this together. If one group wins, the other one loses. It can't be that way. We, we all, all of us, humanity, we all have to travel together. Otherwise, there will be continuous fire of greed and hatred and delusion because the group that has lost will then start hating. If the group that has won, it just it will perpetuate. And hatred never ceases through hatred. Hatred never ceases through hatred. I hope you've heard that. It's a beautiful line of teaching by the Buddha. That's the first actually teaching I ever read by the Buddha. It was years ago, actually. It was 26-some years ago. And I was traveling in Japan. It was, it was before my Buddha's practice days. I remember I went to um, this town, to the best of my memory, I went to this town, uh, Nara, where this was this large Buddha statue, huge Buddha statue. And there was a a plaque somewhere that had talked about 
um, if I remember correctly, he talked about how um, in the, um, I think, the United Nations after World War II, um, where the world wanted to punish Japan um, for for the war. And I think the Sri Lankan president at the time got up and, and spoke very um, passionately about how hatred never ceases through hatred. Through love alone it is healed. That is an eternal law and it's a teaching of the Buddha. So this plaque talked about this teaching. It had this teaching on it and I was astounded. I had never read something so profound and so beautiful and so true. It made sense instantly. Hatred never ceases through hatred. It's only healed through love. It only ceases through love. That is an ancient and eternal law. It makes sense, doesn't it? Let it land for a moment. Of course, it never ceases through hatred. It never ceases through hatred. I remember the, the, the writing astounded me so much. There's this quote that I wrote it down in the back of a postcard, which I still have. That was my first Buddhist teaching. Hatred never ceases through hatred. And it's true today. As true as it's been 2,600 years ago, 2,700 years ago when he said it. And it's, as he says, it's an ancient and eternal law. It's the Dharma. It's an eternal law. It's the law of being human. He didn't make it up. He just shared it. That's the law of being human. Hatred never ceases through hatred. Number five that I have on my list is expand your perspective. Expand your perspective. Enlarge your perspective. A bigger picture. A bigger picture. So this bigger picture, different aspects of it, different aspects of it. One aspect is to realize our interconnection the causes and conditions and, and part of being part of this wave of humanity, this, this, you know, it seems like my life is important, is precious. Of course it is. Each of our lives, the way we are in the world, our agency is extremely important and precious and divine. And we're part of this, this huge ocean of humanity this river, this ocean of humanity that has been flowing for thousands, hundreds of thousands of years. We're all part of it. We're the fabric of this ocean. And we have the delusion of separateness. We so have the delusion of separateness. Our lives are so intertwined. They're so... If we could only see, if we only... didn't have dust in our eyes, if we, we didn't have the delusion of lack of interconnection. Our lives are so interconnected. On interconnection, the Buddha says, and again, whether you know some of you might have a belief in rebirth, some of you don't, some of you have a don't know mind, maybe, Maybe not. So with a sense of don't know mind for this mystery that is life. You know, we assume we know, we know a lot about life. We know very little. You know, especially having been a scientist, being a scientist. You know, just science is our religion. We think we know more than we do about the mystery of, of life. We know so little. So with a don't know mind, with just opening to possibility... I'll share this, this teaching from, from the Buddha. He says, Practitioners, it is not easy to find a being who has not formerly been your mother, your father, your brother, your sister, your son, your daughter. Hello, my family. <laughs> Seriously, for a moment, just 
open to that possibility. You, you can leave it here when you leave. But just for now, look around for a moment, actually. I invite you, just for the heck of it. If you took that in for a moment, that teaching, just look around. Like each of you has been my and each other's father, brother, sister, son, daughter, mother. Wow. (sighs) I'm looking at all my mothers. This is pretty awesome. So just, I mean, the mind sometimes doesn't want to go there. It's like, whoa, 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 no way. Are you kidding? I, I don't want to open up to that interconnection thing. That's like, but if you just open for just one second, allow it yourself for just one second to see how it might reverberate, how it might affect you. It is scary, isn't it? What else comes up? Any thoughts? You, should, you can shout emotions as I share with that. Just say it. Bond. Bond. Bonding. Bonding comes up. Thank you. What else? Confusion. Confusion. Thank you. What else? Too much. Too much. Yeah. Whoa. Overwhelmed. What else? Joy. Interesting. Joy. Sisterhood. Sisterhood. Yeah. Opening. What else? Love. Love. Yeah. Clarity. Clarity. Astounding. Astounding. Delight. Delight. <laughs> <sighs> yeah. Let yourself be shaken a little bit. It's kind of good to be shaken out of our comfort zone sometimes, just a little bit. And now you can come back to it. It's okay. (laughs) So, larger perspective, interconnection, non-separateness. And also this larger perspective also includes a beautiful teaching on steadiness of equanimity. And equanimity, the word actually, so there are two words for it in in Pali, the language of the Buddha. One is upekka. And literally, upekka, equanimity means to see, to to oversee, overview, as in having a bird's eye view perspective, not caught. So think of equanimity that way, because sometimes equanimity to people sounds like, oh, being aloof, being cold, being kind of like, that's not equanimity. I'd like to say a little more about it in a moment, but just think about the, the, the definition of upekka, equanimity, when you have a bird's eye view, when you're not caught, when you're seeing, when you're overseeing, wow, from hundreds of miles up, whew, or feet, miles may might be too. That would be like you seeing the yeah planet Earth. That would be kind of cool too. That's that's really a large perspective, but really seeing from from up above a bird's eye perspective, what's happening. So it's really the ease that comes from seeing a bigger picture. It's the ease. It's the the equanimity. The the you know. Um, it's, and have you noticed when you're tight, when you're looking at something like looking at a problem through a microscope, like there's a tightness in your heart. Mm-hmm. Have you ever had the experience when you expand the view? Like, oh, okay, well, th- this happened, oh, it's going to be okay. And this is, you see it in a bigger picture, there's a sense of ease that come, comes with it. Has anybody else had that experience? Yeah, of course, we're humans, yeah. So that perspective, having a bird's eye view, having a, a perspective of of what is going on in the big picture of humanity coming and going. What is happening right now, there is fire. And there has been a lot of fire in the world. And there will be fire. This is not the end of it. This is hard. This is difficult. This is painful. And to have the big picture of humanity, of everything. like This is not the first time this has ever happened. This won't be the last time something this has happened. How can we be present? How can we have our equanimity and present stability with everything that's happening? I want to share another word 
Another word for equanimity in Pali is tatramajatata. Tatramajatata. Can you say that fast ten times? Tatramajatata. Tatramajatata. It's a beautiful word. It's actually a compound word, compound word that's made of simple Pali words. So there's tatra. Tatra means there. So, and sometimes it refers to all these things. So tatra, all these things. Maja means middle. Maja means middle. Have you heard of the Majjhima Nikaya? Middle length discourses of the Buddha? Middle. So Maja is middle. So we have Tatra, Maja, Tata. Tata means to stand or to pose. Okay. So if you put these three together, you get to stand in the middle of all this. Isn't that a beautiful definition of equanimity? Stand in the middle of all this with stability, with balance. Not tipped forward, into it, overwhelmed, not away, like, whoa, too much. (sighs) The stability, being on a bedrock foundation. So think of equanimity as a bedrock, stable foundation that has warmth. It's not cool, it's not aloof. It's definitely not aloof. Otherwise, why would it be put together in the Brahma Viharas, Brahma Vihara teachings? The Brahma Viharas, heavenly abodes, there are four of them. The first one is metta, loving kindness. Pretty warm, right? Pretty loving, yeah, love. Second one, compassion. Ah, compassion, beautiful quality of the heart. The third one, vicarious joy. Happiness, joy, delight in the joy of others. Ah, still, it's warm, like caring. You get the quality? Fourth one, equanimity. People go, eh. (laughs) I thought equanimity was like, no, there's a reason why. It's with these beautiful qualities of the heart. Because equanimity is warm. It, It cares. It cares, but it's stable. I got this years ago. I was doing a month-long silent meditation retreat, and I was doing a month of Brahma Vihara practices. And I had never done intense equanimity practice. Things are as they are. May I be? May I hold things as they are, coming and going, etc. And then I realized, oh, there was a warmth. There was a warmth of caring, even though there was complete balance in the heart, holding the difficulties and the ah. Oh, standing in the middle of all this, there was care, there was warmth. So equanimity, equanimity, expanding your perspective in the times of fire to, to include equanimity, a perspective of, of equanimity. Number six, Do what you do best. Do what you do best. So besides holding witness, doing your part and being steady, do what you do best in the times of fire. Is it can can you sign petitions, call your congressperson, donate money, donate your time, be a voice for change? If you're a caring professional, maybe you care more deeply. Do what you do best. If you're a mother, give love and and raise aware, loving children. If you're in service profession, serve the best you can. Do what you can do best. Put your heart into what you're doing, what you can do, and do it with all your heart. Volunteer at a shelter. Join a movement to register people to vote. What, whatever you do best, do that. And not more. Not less. Thomas Merton says, there is a pervasive form of a contemporary violence to which the idealist most easily succumbs. Activism and overwork. The rush and pressure of modern life are a form, perhaps the most common form, 
of its innate violence, to allow oneself to be carried away by a multitude of conflicting concerns, to surrender to too many demands, to commit oneself to too many projects, to want to help everyone in everything, is to succumb to violence. The frenzy of our activism neutralizes our work for peace. It destroys our own inner capacity for peace. It destroys the fruitfulness of our own work because it kills the root of inner wisdom which makes work fruitful. And this was Thomas Merton, the well-known, respected Trappist monk, theologian, beautiful man. Powerful. The violence of our time. The last one, we've made it to the last one, number seven. Enjoy. Enjoy being human. It's a mess. It's hard. And it's beautiful. Isn't it? Enjoy. Enjoy being human. Because with having guilt or self-denial for the blessings you have in your life, you don't serve anyone. You need to be resourced. You need to have that stable place so that wisdom and compassion can grow from it. I like to end with a um, poem from Jack Gilbert. It's called A Brief for the Defense. You might have heard it before. I love it. Sorrow everywhere, slaughter everywhere. If babies are not starving someplace, they are starving somewhere else with flies in their nostrils. But we enjoy our lives because that's what God wants. It's a particular perspective, but I still, you know, it's theistic perspective, but I still love the poem. You can, anyway, I'll just read it. <laughs> Otherwise, the mornings before summer dawn would not be made so fine. The Bengal tiger would not be fashioned so miraculously where, so miraculously well. The poor women at the fountain are laughing together between the suffering they have known and the awfulness in their future, smiling and laughing while somebody in the village is very sick. There is laughter every day in the terrible streets of Calcutta, and the women laugh in the cages of Bombay. If we deny our happiness, resist our satisfaction, we lessen the importance of their deprivation. We must risk delight. We can do without pleasure, but not delight, not enjoyment. We must have the stubbornness to accept our gladness in the ruthless furnace of this world. To make injustice the only measure of our attention is to praise the devil. If the locomotive of the Lord runs us down, we should give thanks that the, that the end had magnitude. We must admit there will be music despite everything. We stand, all, we stand at the prow again of a small ship anchored late at night in the tiny port, looking over to the sleeping island. The waterfront is three shuttered cafes and one naked light burning. To hear the faint sound of oars in the silence as a rowboat comes slowly out and then goes back is truly worth all the years of sorrow that are to come. Let's just sit together for a couple minutes.
As you're sitting with your eyes closed, I will read the list of seven. Let it wash over you and see which one you want to take home specially. Let yourself be touched, be moved. Titrate and take care of yourself. Keep your heart open. Don't get stuck in your views. Expand your perspective through interconnection and equanimity. Do what you do best and enjoy the ride. We dedicate the merit of our practice together, of our sitting, meditating, greeting, making community, hearing the Dharma, reflecting on the Dharma. May the goodness of our practice support freedom, joy, liberation, ease, for all beings everywhere, all beings, excluding none, everywhere, including ourselves. Thank you for your kind attention and practice. Be well and enjoy the ride. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.